Most things in your life run out. Most things in your life come to an end. Most things in your life fall short, but God is everlasting. We ought to give God praise because his love never ends. His mercy never runs out. It never depletes. He is everlasting. We give God praise for that. But he is the everlasting God. And we can set our hope on him. Our hope on the one. What a blessing it is to be able to set our hope in Jesus Christ. My name is Pastor Derek Parks. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor and church planter here at Epiphany Church of Wilmington. And it is my privilege to have you uh, with us today. We're so glad that you joined us uh, on this beautiful sunny day. I thought it was going to be raining today, but the weatherman didn't know what he was talking about. So (laughs) we in here. Amen. So was the sun and the heat. Amen. Somebody. I'm like, I do bad. I do bad already (laughs) up here when I'm preaching. I'm about to be doing really bad with this heat. (laughs) So again, we're so I'm so encouraged for you being here today. If you're a visitor, we welcome you. Uh, If This is your first time, second time or third time. Uh, We're so grateful that you've joined us. We're glad that you're here. If there's anything that we can do to make your uh, visit here more enjoyable, please do not hesitate to let us know. We'll wash your car uh, and all that good stuff uh, with Aquafina bottles of water. So you only get one spot cleaned off your car, but we'll we'll do that. Uh, We're happy to do it. So amen. Uh, So last week was Mother's Day, so we, we, we jumped out of our series. But today we're jumping back into that uh, series called Making History. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about what I'm doing right there. Nobody worry about that. It's not working. Don't turn around. Nobody turn around. Stay. Everybody look at me. Look at me. They're doing bad. <laughs> Amen. So encourage you to jump back into the series Making History. So we are a recently planted church for those of you that are visiting us we just uh launched or had our public worship our first public worship service back on april the 15th so we're a little bit over a month old amen yeah give god praise for that so at the onset of that we said listen planting a church is a historical thing uh, that's just not just because I'm planting the church and we're all part of planting this church. That's not because of that. It's because of that. That's what God has used to grow the kingdom of God from the day of Pentecost until now. Okay. Funny enough, today would line up with the day that is the day of Pentecost when the spirit came. Amen. And the church was launched in Acts chapter two. So we're encouraged today uh, by what God is doing. So we're going to continue to trek through this because we asked the question, what would it look like for us to make history as a church? So we're going to trek through that uh, today. We're going to explore that. And I'm going to explore that from the title, A History of Joyfulness. A History of Joyfulness. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you may be feeling down today, but I want to encourage you to have joy. 
turn to the other neighbor because that neighbor wasn't listening to you real good and turn to the other neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, today is the day to make history by having joy. All right. So we're going to jump right in. Colossians chapter one, verse nine through 14. We'll have it up here for you on the screens. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible um, uh, in in verse number nine. uh, And it reads, for this reason also. Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Isn't it good to know that somebody's praying for you? Man. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that you may walk worthy. Somebody say walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Verse number 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son, of the son he loves. In him. Somebody say in him. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is powerful, God. Sharper than any two-edged sword, Father. I say that every single week. Severing the marrow from the bone, God. But I pray that this word would get deep down into the marrow of our souls. God, and when we hear this word, Lord, we would we would respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey. God, we need your word to transform us. We need your word to liberate our hearts, God. We need your word to set us free today, God. And we need your word to give us your joy. And God, it's through this that I pray that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak with my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust in Jesus mighty name, I pray. Amen. Mr. Judson went as a missionary to Burma. And he so burned with a desire to preach the gospel before the Burmese people. That he went out there before he even learned the language. And one day he walked up to a Burmese man and he embraced him, not being able to say a word to him because he did not know the language. That man went home and reported that he had seen an angel. The living Christ was so radiant in Mr. Judson's countenance that men started calling him. Mr. Glory Face. When Christian workers really come to know the joy that God has given unto them, the gospel 
becomes irresistible. So I want to submit this idea to to us today that those who make history have joy. Those who have his, who make history, the joy can be seen all over their face to the point that it makes the gospel irresistible. So the first thing I want to lay out for us is this, is that your joy has a reason. Your joy has a reason. Join me in verse number nine for he says, for this reason also. Paul is speaking of the love that the Colossians had in the spirit according to Epaphras. So he, he, he says, since the day I heard about your love, we have not stopped praying for you. When's the last time that somebody noticed your love? Can your family and friends speak about your love? What about your coworkers? Can they speak about your love? Or can they only speak about your anger and quick-temperedness and your easily offendedness? You better figure out that your joy has a reason. And more importantly than that, your joy ain't for you. That's bad English, but it's good theology. So Paul says, since the day we've heard about your Love and your joy, we have not ceased to pray for you. If you're going to be joyful, then you cannot leave off prayer. See, we don't like to talk about prayer. Prayer is the dirty secret in the church is that we don't pray. The dirty secret for the believer is that we oftentimes rely on our own strength and our own might instead of relying on the power that we have the ability to tap into through prayer. See, prayer is a quintessential element for the preservation and positioning of joy in your life. See, when I talk about preservation, it means that you can't be joyless and pray. It's impossible to be praying and be joyless. When I talk about the position, you've got to see that prayer puts your joy in its proper place. See, it's impossible for you to go before the throne of God. It's impossible for you to go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in prayer and to continue to meander around in joylessness. Sooner or later, you're going to have to realize who it is that you're talking to. Much like your mama used to say, boy, who you talking to? Are we coming up in my presence like that? And some of us need to be reminded of that, of whose presence we are in when we approach the throne of grace. Most of us need to be reminded of whose presence we're in as we're living out this Christian life. We are called to be believers and followers of Jesus Christ. What that means is that we are called to look just like Jesus. Because we are in the presence of the King. I want to say this to you. If you are going to make history, then don't stop praying. If you are going to make history, then don't stop praying. See, when Paul says here praying, this prayer can also be translated as, I love this, worship. 
See, Paul was worshiping God for the Colossians and their love in the spirit. So see, when, when, when we when we pray, we worship God and position ourselves to have joy. How do I know that? Listen, worship is a byproduct of joy. See, if you have joy, the next step that you're going to follow is you're going to worship God. That's why we say we live lifestyles of worship right over there. Because when you have joy, you will worship God even when it seems gloom and doom. See, folks who really have joy, they, they, they can't wait to get around the people of God and, and, and worship the king with one another. Folks who really have joy, they, they, they can't wait to, to be around other believers so that they can come together and worship the king. But not only that, they can't wait to be in a position where it comes down to their preferences and the king. See, that, that's what true worship is. True worship is, 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 is putting aside your preferences and believing in the word of God and trusting in what God says no matter what's going on in your life. That's what true worship is. That's why Paul is begging God on behalf of his brothers and sisters that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. See, Paul understood that our joy had a source. And he wanted us to be filled up by that source. See, joy causes you to see God as your source. When I was a kid, I used to watch this show. On late night, I was up when I wasn't supposed to be uh, watching this show. Uh, It was a cartoon. Don't be tripping out. It was a cartoon. Uh, it was called Birdman. And Bird, hey, somebody knows what I'm talking about. Birdman would constantly be out there fighting lizards and stuff like that, big lizards. And when he would get out there to fight these lizards, he would always get his butt whooped. I'm like, Birdman, what's up, bro? Like, you're always losing. So Birdman, in order to replenish his strength when he was depleted, he would have to run up to the sun. Sometimes he would be in a little dungeon and there would be no sunlight around. And he would be knocking on the wall just to get a little bit of the sunlight to shine through because he knew if he could just get close to the sun. I wish I had a church. He he knew that if he could just get close to his source, that he would be replenished from what he had been depleted from. See, see, joy causes you not to be in a position where you don't know what your source is. See, you, you better know that your source is God. In the midst of trials, in the midst of circumstances, you better know that your source is the Lord. This word here means to fill up to the full. So that nothing will be wanting. See, joy causes you to be, joy causes you not to be in want, even when you are in need. See, see, joy means that you're satisfied even when you're suffering. 
I wish I had two or three people who understood what I was talking about, that God is calling you to be satisfied in him regardless of what's going on or what's happening in your life. Even when suffering is in your life, God is calling us to have joy. That's why he says, I want you to be filled up with the knowledge of God's will. See, joy is about the recognition of the correct things. See, Paul says, I I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That that knowledge means that, that, again, that you're going to recognize the correct things. So even when suffering is in your face, it must not be your focus. Even when suffering is in your face, it cannot be your focus. So if you are going to make history, then you've got to be focused on his will. How do I know? Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. If you are going to make history, if we're going to make history as a church, then we've got to stand on the will of God in the midst of suffering, regardless of what's going on in our life and regardless of what's happening to us, we must stand on the will of God. See, being focused on the will of God means to be focused on his wishes over your wants. And Paul goes one step further to say that the key to all wisdom and understanding is relying on his will. See, this, this wisdom here is, is talking about the, 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 the divinely acquired wisdom and knowledge here. It's talking about the, the spiritual understanding here. So this understanding that Paul is talking about, is, it, it comes from a word where we get the word synthesis from. See, synthesis is the co- combining of various components into a whole. In other words, it's the result of a combination. My my little daughter, she loves to do uh, experiments, and she always wants to combine all these ingredients together. And she wants to pour mustard and honey and uh, uh, her mother's uh, 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 expensive vanilla extract into a bowl. And we mix that stuff up, and, and I'm always the guinea pig. She wants me to test that stuff. Uh, um, but oftentimes it's not properly synthesized, if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, so it's, it, it tastes a little funny. Um, but, you know, I'm her dad, and, and that's what I do. I, I get in there, and, and, and I taste uh, uh, the thing that, that has been uh, combined together, even though it may not be fully synthesized. So joy causes us, watch this, to be aligned with the Spirit of God, because the, the word for us understanding also means here to flow together. What do I mean? When you have joy, you'll just flow. You'll just go with the flow. See, you know those people who, they just go with the flow. They just seem to walk differently. They just seem to, nothing ever seems to bother them. They just seem like they're all right. You ask them how they're doing. They tell you, it's the best day of my life. And it's like, whoa, today? (laughs) Today's the best day of life? Yeah, today's the best day of my life. They just move differently. That's what Paul is calling us to here when he calls us to walk worthy. See, this this walking worthy means, I love this here, it means to be preoccupied. See, you'll never find people making history who who are just occupied with their circumstances. 
you'll never find those people making history. See, if the early church was concerned about their current predicament, they would have never made history. The reason that they were able to make history was because they were walking worthy. Uh, What I mean is that they were preoccupied with something other than their present condition. That's why they could be tarred and beaten and whipped and killed. And they would keep pressing forward because they were preoccupied with something. And they were preoccupied with something that was greater than themselves. See, most of us just walk around preoccupied with ourselves. Everything is about me. Everything is about what I want. Everything is about what I desire. But God is calling us not to be preoccupied with ourselves, but to be preoccupied with the Savior. See, the Savior is calling us to to walk in joyfulness, and he's calling us to be preoccupied with the things that pertain to him, not just our stuff. That's why he says walk worthy, walk in in a godly sort, walk in a manner that is suitable or worthy of God. And then he says here, so that you might be fully pleasing to him. If you want to be pleasing to God, then you will be preoccupied with his will. He says, and bearing fruit, if you want to bear fruit and to be fertile in everything that you do, then you, guess what? You must be preoccupied with his will. If you, <laughs> Paul, he, he keeps on going right here. He says it's bearing fruit and it's growing all over the world. So if you want to be growing, if you want to, uh, that word means to be great. Uh, if you want to increase uh, and be great, if, then you must be preoccupied with his will. See, everybody wants to be great. Everybody want to live their best life and all that stuff in these streets. But if you really want to be great, if you really want to live your best life, then the scripture says you got to give up your life. We've got to give up our lives so that we could live for him. That means that you got to step outside of your comfort. It's quiet, but it's good. Most of us are so preoccupied with pursuing our comfort that we miss the reality that if we're going to anything that grows has to experience a little bit of discomfort. Y'all know I love nature shows. I'll be watching those shows and the little snakes be getting out of their skin, and all that stuff like that. But one of the craziest things I saw was an eagle. When an eagle has to grow a new beak, what it does is it begins to break off its old beak. So it starts hitting his beak up against the rock. And he keeps hitting his beak against the rock. And he keeps going until his beak comes off of his face. 
But see, what happened was, is that the eagle knew, because the way that they hunt is with their beak and their talons, and they can't eat the food if they don't have a, a sharp uh, 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 beak. So he knew that his old beak was wearing out. So he says, I got to get me another beak, so I'm willing to experience some discomfort and even a little bit of pain so that I can obtain a new beak, so that I can continue to grow and feed on the things that are required for me to be able to grow. Christian, if you are going to grow, then sometimes you're going to have to knock off your beak. What am I talking about? Sometimes you're just going to have to shut your mouth and endure through the suffering that God is calling you to endure through. We go through suffering and we want to whine and complain, but Jesus is calling us to endure suffering like a good soldier. I'm going, listen, he says, it's growing in the knowledge so first we saw that your joy had a reason and now we're going to see that you are reinforced by joy you're reinforced by joy verse 11 paul says being strengthened with all power see paul is saying that your joy causes you to have some strength and here is the, the counterintuitive paradoxical nature of faith in Christ. See, we believe that we need power in order to have joy. And that can be very true in the midst of our circumstances. However, Paul is arguing uh, here in this passage that having joy in the midst of difficult situations will unlock the power that you need in order to navigate those situations. How do I know that? Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, they had just completed building the walls and the walls have been torn down and Nehemiah, he had dealt with so many challenges and so much difficulty that when he completed the wall, he was standing there before the people and he tells them uh, in verse number 10 he says go and eat what is rich and drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since today is is holy to our lord do not be grieved because watch this the joy of the lord is your strength anybody need a strength today Anybody need the joy of the Lord to be their strength today? Because listen, that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to have our, our strength firmly rooted in our joy. See, the strength, though, it, it, it comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from, from any other place. Uh, like we think we try to build up different places to make us strong. We try to build up our finances to make us strong and help us avoid discomfort. We try to build up our education and get all types of degrees in order to help us build up and, and, and avoid discomfort. Because if I get a good degree, then I can get a good job and I don't have to worry about money ever. And then I can just do what I want. But listen here, your joy, your, your strength is not in that. Your strength is in the joy of the Lord. And he says that he'll strengthen you with all power. He's talking about the, the power and influence of God. According to his glorious might. See, Paul is saying here, he's saying, not only are you going to be strengthened, but you're going to be strengthened with all power. How? According to his glorious might. 
This is talking about the weight of God. It's talking about the excellence and preeminence of God. See, the way that you have joy is that you know what your source is, and when trouble comes, you are able to be reinforced by that because you know the source of your strength. See, this, this, this glorious might, his, his greatness here is talking about. It's talking about the force of God. We talk about the force of the ocean, which will wipe you out. One cubic foot of water will wipe you out. And we talk about the force of that. But what about the force of the one who commands the wind and the wave to be still at his command? Don't be concerned about the weight of nature coming. Be concerned about the weight of the one who commands nature. The one who tells the ocean, don't go no further than this, and it obeys him. You don't believe me? Get, watch some nature shows. You're going to see, like, they got an ocean where the two waters come together, but they don't mix. That's at his command and his decree. So we're talking about the might and weight of God. That's what you're going to be strengthened with through having joy. See, joy get, puts you in the position where you have an iron rod in your back. Joy places you in the position where your knees are fortified with steel. You don't buckle when trouble comes. You stand on the joy of the Lord in the midst of circumstances and trials and difficulty. When joy comes, you can stand in the midst of your trials. That's what Paul, I love how he's tricking through here. He's saying, so that you may have great endurance and patience with joy. See, Paul here, he's saying, he's saying to us that God is going to strengthen you so that you might have great endurance and patience joyfully. He's saying here that I'm, I'm, I'm going to strengthen you so that you may be able to be steadfast in the midst of trials. He's saying here, more than that though, he's saying here that I'm going to strengthen you so that you'll have a cheerful and hopeful endurance. See, we don't just endure like some monks, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going through. I'm just enduring through trials and suffering, be whipping themselves and stuff like that, like trying to get it right. That's not what the scripture is calling us to. The scripture is calling us to have an endurance that is filled with cheerfulness and joyfulness. So in the midst of things going crazy all around you at work, you can stand and rejoice knowing that God is with you. When things are going topsy-turvy in your house, you can stand knowing that you have endurance that has been given to you by God who has enabled you to be able to stand. He wants you to have patience. See, I want us to see, as I was looking at this text, and I don't often get into the weeds of the, of the, of the original language like this, but I want to show you this here. I was sitting here working this out. Uh, 
And it says here, I was wondering, like, this joyfully, does, does Paul mean, like, joyfully? Because the next verse is give thanks. Does he mean joyfully give thanks? But when you look at the original language, the language suggests here that joy is what produces endurance and patience. So when you have joy, you'll have the fortitude to forbear through life with calm delight. That's what that joy is. That joy, it talks about a calm delight. It's Jesus sleeping on the boat when the waters and the waves are rocking. It's Jesus laying down, taking a nap. It's a calm delight. It's your bank account being on E and you sit there and you know that God is your provider so you don't have to worry about a thing. It's getting a bad report from the doctor and not having to worry because you have a calm delight knowing that whether you go or whether you stay, God is with you and he is in control. So next, verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to share in the saints inheritance. Paul is saying here that you are reinforced by joy through giving thanks. We talked about this three weeks ago now in a history of thankfulness. But giving thanks comes from the Greek word Eucharisto or Eucharist. We talked about this then that it, it, giving thanks places you in the presence of of Christ, the, for those of you who weren't here, the Eucharist is the, the celebration of, 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 of the Lord's Supper. It's the, the celebration of the body and bread, of uh, 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 the body and, and, and blood of Jesus Christ. So this word here, it means when you give thanks, you place yourself in the very presence of Jesus. But this takes it a step further to say that giving thanks is Godward joy. See, it's one thing to have joy in this life and to just be joyful. People who 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 who, who try to live good and decent lives, they, they can often be found as being joyful and happy. But this joy is a joy that points Godward. So when we give thanks, Paul says here that we express Godward joy and we are reinforced. A few synonyms for reinforced are these. Armor plated. Still clad, bulletproof. So when you have Godward joy, you can walk around in the midst of spiritual bullets and arrows flying past your head like your name was Thanos and you got on the infinity gauntlet. You can walk around in the midst of your circumstances knowing that I'm made bulletproof through the joy that I have in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that can affect me. There's nothing that can change me. There's nothing that can throw me off because I've got joy. And say the world can't take it away. So when you have this joy. That's why Paul says. That's why Paul calls us to give thanks to the father. Who has enabled us. It's the father who gives us 
adequate power to perform his will, even when it's difficult. This word also means to be qualified. It is the Father who qualifies us through our suffering. See, and that's why we can participate in the inheritance of the saints because God has qualified us. He has enabled us. He's made us sufficient. He's equipped us with the adequate power that we need in order to perform his will as he's calling us to. Then lastly, you got to know this, that his qualifications are redemptive. That leads me to my next idea, my last idea. Is that you can have joy because you've been redeemed. You can have joy because you've been redeemed. Check verse 13. I'm sticking close to this text. I want you to see it. He has rescued us. See, God has done the work of delivering us from the dominion of darkness. How? By drawing us to himself. See, this this rescuing here, it, it means to, to draw somebody to yourself. Uh, I want you to catch the image uh, of, 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 of a fireman. As they're going into the fire, they've got something tied around them so that if anything goes wrong while they enter into the building, there's people who's standing on the outside that can draw them to themselves and bring them out of the fire. And see, you were once standing in the midst of a fire, and Jesus was standing on the other end of the rope, and he was drawn you to himself and I'll go a little further than that I'll say this is that Jesus was that very rope that was drawing you to himself he wrapped that rope around you and he pulled you and he drawed you to himself listen here he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness God has rescued us from the very influence of darkness we don't have to submit to the power of earthly authority because God has rescued us from darkness. What do, I, what do you mean, preacher? What I mean is you don't have to fall back and forth into sin because God has delivered you from the very influence of that darkness. See, that darkness is the obscurity or the, the ignorance of God That's the, that he's talking about here. It's, it, what it means is before God had rescued you from darkness, you didn't even know who he was. That's why it cracks me up when people say, I found God. You didn't find God. God was not lost. He found you. So I, I, I want us to see this here. It tells us next that he, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. But he didn't just leave us. It says that he transferred us see after god rescued us from the dominion he, he, he transfers in other words he has relocated us from darkness into his marvelous light anybody ever been pulled out of darkness anybody ever been pulled out of a dark situation that they found themselves in and all you could see around you was darkness you couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel or at the top of the sky you couldn't see no light whatsoever all you could see was darkness when your finances were crumbling around you when your family was was coming against you when all types of hell was breaking loose against you and all you could see was darkness has god ever rescued anybody from the darkness says he relocated us 
from the darkness. It has the idea of refugees who were in the midst of a firefight and they were being relocated to a new place where they would no longer have to deal with bullets flying past their head. Where has he transferred us to? The kingdom of his son. See, this kingdom, it, it's the diadem of his royal power. And, and the diadem of his royal power is his son. And in him, the scripture tells us right here that we have redemption. I, I want to take a moment as I close to tell you about this redemption. See, redemption is defined as liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. See, you and I were once prisoners in a jail called sin. But through the purchase price uh, of Jesus living a perfect life and dying on a cross in our place, Jesus has released us from that bondage. Uh, I, I see, I, I love to go shopping uh, uh, and get new stuff. Uh, I know y'all like to go shopping too because I'll be seeing y'all here with y'all new outfits and all that stuff all the time. Uh, but it's, I love to especially go shopping uh, when the store is having a sale. Uh, and, 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 and if a store is having a sale, it's usually Polo that I go to. They usually have good sales. Uh, and, and, you know, I love a good sale because you can go and purchase a high-priced item for next to nothing. And see, I, I signed up on some mailing lists, and now Polo, they send me coupons every now and then. And, and, and while they're having a sale, uh, like on Black Friday, uh, that means that I can go to the outlet store, and I can get some high-quality Polo shirts for about 60 to 75% off. Uh, if you track it with me, say amen. And see, see that makes uh, me really happy on the inside because I like to wear a polo. And when I go to the polo outlet on Black Friday, I can go there and I can say, hey, listen, uh, don't charge me that price because I got a coupon. Uh, and I want you to look at this coupon. I pull it out on my phone and what they do is they scan the coupon and they say, okay, that'll take off another 25 to 30% off for you. And when I get there, see, it makes me really happy when that happened. But I tell you this, it don't give me joy. See, I'm here to let you know today that there was a sale on Calvary some 2,000 years ago. And that is the reason for my joy. See, see, there was a Black Friday some 2,000 years ago. And on that Black Friday, there was a Savior who hung on a cross as an advertisement to the world. And see, as this advertisement, he hung up on the cross. See, God sent down a coupon called His Grace. And if anybody in here has received His Grace, uh, they would have received the highest price gift ever known to man at a price that was so ridiculously low at a price that was so ridiculously low that it was free to you and to me and it was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ I wish I had uh, uh, some people who knew what I was talking about today is that gift called salvation which has been procured for us through the coupon of grace see that gift was so high priced that it cost Jesus his life. And he said, I'll give it to you free of charge. We can rejoice knowing that we have a free gift from God, which is salvation in him. Therefore, we can have joy because we have been redeemed. 
If you've been redeemed in here today, put your hands together for Jesus Christ. He's the one who sets us free. He's the one who liberates us from the bondage of sin and death. And he is the one who takes us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He awakens dead men. He don't awaken sleeping men. He awakens dead men and women. Listen to this quote. And I'll take my seat. Joyfulness is something that can be cultivated. And it is the duty of all Christians to show the world by their happy and joyful lives that Christianity is the most worthwhile thing in the world. Church, I want to call us today to live our life with joy. I've been saying the past couple of weeks, choose joy regardless of what's happening to you choose joy regardless of what your situation looks like choose joy because in your choosing of joy you declare to a world that is lost and dying that a relationship with jesus christ is the most worthwhile thing that they could ever attain not no money in their pocket not no degree on their wall not no family not none of that only thing that is worthwhile in this life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to call you to that today. Jesus laid down his life for us. The pastor says that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. Maybe you're standing in darkness today. Maybe you haven't come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know, I stand up here every week and I say this because I don't take it for granted. But there might be somebody under the sound of my voice who has just been living life like ordinary. Who has just been going around their life, but they don't know Jesus. If you're in here today, I want to call you to trust in him. Because in him, he has procured a ransom by the payment of his blood. Greater, have, greater love has no man than this, than a man who would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has laid down his life for you today. I want to call you to trust him today. He's good. He's sweet. He's a loving God. And he'll never, ever fail you. Is there one who like the place to trust in Jesus today? The master is calling you. Turn to him. Trust in him. Just us by your blood. God, I pray that this word would go forth, God, and accomplish what you called it to accomplish. 
by your power and by your might that I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior.